and welcome to Big Business Briefs and welcome to 2022 from Big Business Briefs. With me, Heather Noble. And me, Tracy Jones. I forgot what to say, Heather. <laughs> well, it's been a few weeks. It's We've had a bit of time off, uh, but we're into 2022. I thought you were going to say we're fighting fit. We're not We're quite. not really, are we? No. <laughs> no, no. no, there's been quite a lot of lurgy floating around for a lot of people no, and not just the COVID. Oh, no. We're okay. We're all right. Yeah, I'm looking forward to 2022. And uh, for this part of the show, Heather mentioned that we normally look at lists and looking forward to the year, you know, and what books are coming out. And we thought we'd found the perfect article uh, on on FT.com. We thought, oh, this is it. Pulp Nonfiction, the worst business books of 2022. And then as we started reading it, we thought, oh, that's... To be honest, that's a bit mean. I'm not sure we can talk about that. And it was only after we must have been talking for a good 10 minutes, maybe, saying how this was actually quite a mean article, that actually uh, the author of the article has written a very good article where he's made up entirely imaginary examples of the types of non-fiction titles that he would be avoiding in 2022. So when we were in on the joke... I well, it took us a while, didn't it? Yeah, it took. We, so I think we we went straight to the titles of the books and didn't read that that one sentence yeah. at the top of the <laughs> right article. At the beginning of the article, yeah, we just <laughs> dived in, and we we thought, well, this Andrew Hill is a bit mean, but actually now I revise that and say Andrew Hill has written a very good article. Yes. Thank you very much, yes. Andrew. So, um, and we still thought, even though they weren't real books, it was still worth uh, discussing because actually some of these things that he's highlighted here as being books you would avoid in 2022 actually ring quite true, don't they? I think we've probably <laughs> reviewed a few of them under different titles. Yeah, we might have reviewed some of them. Also, we might have thought, oh, should we review this? Had a quick look and gone, no, we couldn't possibly talk about this because it's so bad. <laughs> and as a rule, we try not to be mean, don't we? I, I do believe there was one... but. I can only think of one book that I absolutely hate. And I'm not, not going to mention it again. No. No, but, no. But, yeah, that, that is the one book I've something. really trashed. And at least you liked it. And and so many other people in the world like it That's as well. True. So we could give that balance to yeah. you. Yeah. But anyway, so what did you think of the list, Heather? Well, as you say, uh, quite tongue-in-cheek. I think, actually, you could probably learn quite a lot from the titles in as much that if you read that title and you think it's a good title, then you might need to reconsider your approach. So, <laughs> so he's given a title of a book and then he sort of said who's writing it, you yeah. know, from what standpoint. Should we take them in turns? Do you want yeah. to go first? Okay. So, cosy up to your co-worker. Exclamation mark. Exclamation mark. Written by an academic and a coach with zero hands-on management experience and they serve up just under 300 pages of wishful thinking about how a combination of purpose, empathy, diversity, inclusion and hugs will put a smile on the face of your exhausted subordinates and enable you to delay their long overdue pay rise for a few more months. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I I can picture that one, yeah. That's, yeah, I mean, we've... It's there's a little bit of you know um, chuck free fruit at it free fruit on Friday and that'll you know that'll make everybody happy the hug mentality the but actually that only works for some people there are lots of people who don't want to be hugged 
Yes, well, don't. never never mind pandemics where you <laughs> yeah. probably don't want to be hugged. There are some people that that really just doesn't work for anyway. Yes. For me, the key there is it's somebody who's got no experience of it talking about how they think it works or yeah. how they think it should work. And that that's where you lose the authenticity and you wouldn't engage, would you, as somebody who's in the real world, if that's how you think it actually works. Now, it might be that your workplace is full of purpose, empathy, diversity, inclusion and hugs. But it's not... If, if your workplace is already like that, you don't need to read the book. Well, yes. Well, there we, go. there we go. Okay, this next one really made me chuckle because there are so many. And having studied business in the 80s, Heather... There were a lot of books like this, <laughs> and, and they still exist. The title of this book, this imaginary book, is called The Me in Team. <laughs> and uh, the description that Andrew Hill gives it is, it's a re- recently retired chief exec of the company um, who's, who's hired a ghostwriter, essentially, uh, used a tiny fraction of his multi-million dollar payoff to hire a ghostwriter. And so what you get is a tone-deaf account of heroic military service, a seamless rise to the top, and glossing over any embarrassments, lawsuits, profit warnings, or any, essentially any real life in business. Um, and it's a, it's a sort of a, a classic example of the history books being written by the victor, I thought. That, that really did remind me of a lot of books that I now avoid, like The Plague. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, oh, and and also they say that you know it's somebody you've never heard of that's written this book. Yeah, but it's a must read because. And I think the worst thing about that is yes, they they they've been the head of a successful company that's just been laid out by there, but their reasons for their success have been attributed to different things that probably actually contributed to their success. And you do tend to get that a lot, don't you? And you sometimes get these self-made business people who actually had very rich families to start with. Yeah. Well, we've looked at quite... Well, you know, people with emerald mines and things like that. Yeah, well, we've looked at quite a few of those. And, um, yeah, so so there are people who, 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 you know, were born with a silver spoon in their mouth who then became successful because of that. But then we also have... Have profiled lots of people who who weren't like that, yeah. And I would feel more inclined to listen to them. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing wrong with having a silver spoon. I think it's if you ignore the help that that might have given yeah. you yeah. on the way up. Yeah, that that privilege, that entitlement. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. we all have privilege to some extent in certain areas, don't we? So if you don't acknowledge that, then you're really you're missing a big part of yeah. what made you successful. Yeah. Next one, Heather. This next one, um, square pegs smash your strategy into shape. Uh, I love this. Seven partners from a well-known management consultancy turned their PowerPoint slides and the confidential <laughs> insights you provided as their client into what ostensibly looks like a brand new way to do strategy. Oh, we've seen this so many. We, we've talked about these business gurus before, a lot of which we like. But you do tend to see a pattern, don't you, is that whatever consultancy work they've done, they've turned it into a talk, a presentation, they've turned it into a book, and then they've turned it into a tour, and then it's turned into a whole philosophy on which entire industries are based. Yeah, Yeah. And, um, and of course, 
people were just saying about the recently retired chief exec who you've never heard of, you know, he was doing something somewhere. But um, so consultants work with businesses and they are going to gather knowledge and experience from the businesses that they work with. But I think if you ju- if they just regurgitate it and, and put it out there as, um, as, you know, this is what we this is what we recommend rather than this is what we've discovered works within organisations or doesn't work within organisations. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, it also goes on to say that uh, the good news that you now know where your fees went and the bad news, you're going to get a box of complimentary copies. <laughs> <laughs> the world's heaviest and least welcome business card, it yeah. says. Yeah. yeah. Have these. No I've been given a few of those in my time, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. If people are giving away books, there's a reason for it. Okay, not not that we'll turn away a free book. No, actually, I, I hasten to add, we do like a free book. Send them in by yes. all means. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the next one we've fallen for this a few times, and I've got to say, one of my favourite one is a bit of a story with animals. <laughs> yeah. This one's called "Who Stole My Fable." a whimsical tale of woodland creatures who find a way to end their long-running feud and embark on a miracle of co-creation that increases the forest return on investment while combating climate change. <laughs> Told in one and two-syllable words broken up by blank pages and bad cartoons. It sounds perfect to yes. me. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Andrew Hill isn't going to buy it. <laughs> no, no, I've got a few of these on my bookcase. S- some good, some not so good. Yeah, um, yeah. It's. I think if you want to write a book, that's probably a good model. <laughs> and if you give it a quirky enough title, like pig wrestling, like pig wrestling, who, that's one of my favourites. Yeah, who moved my cheese? Yeah. Um, eat so that if you do write one of those books, do send it our way, and we will review it. Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, far, I don't want any of the others, by the way. But that one, yeah. No, no. This um, next one's brilliant. <laughs> kill them. <laughs> Leadership lessons of the tyrants. <laughs> this is a bit like Machiavelli the Prince, isn't it? <laughs> so, yeah, so this is very much um, the whole idea that uh, basically beat them into submission to get them to do what you want them to do. <laughs> I insisted management style, Andrew refers to here. Yeah. Putting the bullets back into bullet points. <laughs> Yeah, so um, that's kind of how not to do it. Very much old school way of thinking. Yeah. Old school leadership. (laughs) And then the the next one, um, why the world's CEO factories need retooling. Rich, richer, richest. (laughs) What do you think of this one? Yeah, we sort of touched on this before, isn't it? Who knew that joining the hyper wealthy was this easy? Um, and Andrew Hill goes on saying plausibly good looking co-workers <laughs> with much followed Instagram accounts explain the secrets of crypto and meme trading and invite you to stake your hard-earned retirement savings oh. on their Twitter-led investment strategy become the next Warren Buffett or Elon Musk I, and yeah. he adds there before they pull up the ladder and the entire Ponzi scheme collapses Yeah, yeah. there are plenty of those and you don't believe them, do you? If you know this is the way to get rich, 
But the thing is, people do. Yeah, they that's do the sadly, trouble. Yeah. You very often, certainly, you know, with the work that I do, people will say, "Oh, well, I'm a great fan of X," and I just think, "No, no, you've just been drawn in. It might as well be called, you know, gone fishing because it literally they're just pulling in people who are looking for something. Yeah, um, and and will invest heavily. And you know what? The next thing will be is just pay me twenty thousand yeah. pounds, and I'll be your mentor. Yeah. Anybody this. who says um, return on investment, you know, 10 times return on investment guaranteed or it's just like, no, no, steer away from that. The okay. next one, I must admit, I, I might have a few of these types of books. So the Bumper Book of Branding, a uh, massive picture book complete with hand-drawn graphs and glossy bespoke photography in unfeasibly large format, suitable only for coffee tables. Yes. Yes, I have those lying on on their sides in my bookcases. Yeah. <laughs> well, that yeah, and they say it says the bumper book of branding text is so twenty twenty one. You know, let's <laughs> let's have um, let's have all these graphics and doodles and squiggles, and we've we've reviewed a couple of those um, <laughs> fairly recently. Actually. Now, I've got to say, I haven't read much of these because this wouldn't have appealed to me anyway. Um, it, it, the next title is called The Deepest Dive, The Scandal That Briefly Unsettled Global Capitalism. If I saw anything that said deep dive, I'm totally turned off yeah. anyway. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm more of a let's, let's look on the surface level sort of girl. Um, but this is talking about um, journalists who've written an award-winning series of investigative reports and turned it into a very, very long book. Yeah, I'm not going to be reading that anyway, so no, no need to warn me. No, the deep dive is, is a phrase that's really come out in the last 12 months, isn't it? Yeah, man. Just, okay, we're going to do a deep dive into that now. <sighs> not with me. Not, no, no. <laughs> uh, okay, um, nudge me when I fall asleep. <laughs> <laughs> Well-known social science, ex- science experiments retold for the thousandth time in the sort of upbeat tone that suggests they contain the secret to life itself. Um, you'll be you'll learn how to be constantly excited about trivial breakthroughs. Okay. I, I normally like a good social science experiment, but I see where he's going with this one. <laughs> you'll wonder why the authors are making more money than the associate professors who did the research <laughs> in the first place, and you'll never buy another behavioural science book again. Oh, dear. <laughs> And then, um, is this the last one? Hi-ho, hi-ho, the unthinkable future of work. Did you know we spend more time working than we do sleeping? You did? Never mind. (laughs) (laughs) This book will allow you to spend the time you don't spend working reading about work. (laughs) And perhaps if you're lucky, dreaming about it. (laughs) Nice writing there. It's really good. Really good. It goes on about gig workers. So gig workers goggle at the idea of a utopia where you have a real job again and full-time workers tremble at the thought of a dystopia where gig workers take your job. Uh, Bosses, remember that reading business books in work hours is a sackable offence. Uh, well, Andrew Hill, I think that's an excellent article. And although we got the wrong end of the stick right at the start, uh, I'm, I'm glad we, we uh, read the opening chapter properly in the end. Yes. Yeah. Um, um, and Andrew himself has been involved in um, filtering books for the Business Book of the Year Award. Um, so it, 
He's read a lot of books and he hasn't just conjured this up from nothing. Well, he must have done because these are parodies of... They're, they're so, yeah, yeah so realistic, so aren't they? Uh, I, I feel like we've read a lot of books and I recognise all of those as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Talking of which... <laughs> <laughs> and we're not going to suggest which category this book no, falls into, we are, not, are, we? are we? No, we are um, not, we're not that unkind. We're not that unkind. No, no. So we, we both downloaded this book from Kindle Unlimited. Yeah, Kindle Unlimited. Yeah. We're going to get our money's worth, so we have to review some on there every so often. Yeah. And at this time of year, people start thinking about what they're going to do in the coming year and marketing often. Well, I'm going to start doing some marketing. Okay, right. So um, this book by a guy called Alan Dibb is called The One Page Marketing Plan. So we thought we'd have a little look at it and see what he's suggesting might go on your one-page marketing plan. And I, I said to you before we started um, started recording, actually, I just wanted the one-page plan. <laughs> yeah, don't want to have to. Now, we haven't even flicked through a, a book. So to be fair, we you're, you're out of your comfort zone a bit with this one. Yes, yes. Um, but I, I'm a bit more comfortable with the Kindle. But I have to admit, I didn't give it the attention it deserves because I guess the title suggested that maybe it was shorter than it was. Yeah, I wanted to get right to the point. And yeah. um, actually, Alan Dibb has provided a lot more material either yes. side of this one-page plan. And interestingly enough, and rather usefully, and might be a good place for you to start, is actually taking a look at the websites yeah. that talk about the book and Alan's work. So um, you can find... Uh, the website successwise.com um, that's um, sort of like the top level and it links you to buy the book now there is another one I'm not going to give you the um, the URL for it because this only comes from having read the book so go and read it on Kindle Unlimited if you've got it but um, if you then read the book it does give you the link to some resources from the book but some of those resources are available uh, on successwise.com anyway. Yeah. So, for example, the actual one-page marketing plan canvas is available on the main website without you having to have read the book. Yeah. But um, on the pages that come with the book, then you've got some resources for some of the chapters that he refers to. So there is the canvas there. So that's the thing you were looking for, yeah. isn't it, Heather? Yeah. Um, um, there's a download of the greatest headlines you'll ever read. I, the quick scan through that. It's like, yeah, I mean... They were all right. I think in the context of the book, so he spends... Fair play to him. He spends a lot of time saying, I'm not reinventing the wheel. Yeah. Um, uh, what I'm what I'm doing is, is distilling, although he's taking 228 pages to distill. But, you know, that's okay. Um, is distilling what other people have said, what other people think, and then um, cutting through some of that so that we can go straight to the questions that we need to think about. And I think the, the one-page plan that you've downloaded and printed kindly here for us to have a look at is actually quite nice. It's uh, nicely laid out. Um, good use of graphics and colour there, isn't it? So Yeah. And yeah, that's it, got some good potential. What's this other one that you've printed out so, as well? So this is... So he talks a lot about um, the whole, um, you know, before during and after so um the before phase is you know who's your target market what's your message um and, and then reaching the relevant prospects with the right type of advertising then there's the during phase 
So that's capturing leads, nurturing leads and sales conversion. And then he talks about the after phase. So when you've got them um, delivering a world-class experience, increasing customer lifetime value and um, and getting referrals. So what, so what he has here is a sort of flow chart where you go from a cold prospect to a raving fan. And, and essentially, it's, it's a visual representation of, of how you go through the before, during and after. That's um, a nice stage. visual as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Again, I do love a visual. And, you know, it's he says, you know, attract interest, nurture leads, deliver and impress and then get referrals. So did that come with the one page plan? Yes. You downloaded further down. that? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It's further down. Yeah. Oh, there we go. The yeah, direct the life response cycle. marketing the life yeah. cycle. Yeah. yeah, that's great. Yeah. Also on this um, book resources page, a couple of videos which I'll mention, we, we briefly discussed before we started recording. Uh, one is about, um, it's when you're actually closing the deal, isn't it? And actually, um, chapter six, um, it's about how you've, you've placed yourself in the market and how you're going to yes, position, yeah, position yes. yourself yeah. in the yeah. market. And so the video that they're playing here from YouTube is the Joshua Bell Social Experiment. And this is where a world-class uh, violinist plays seemingly as a busker in uh, the metro and um, virtually nobody listens to him and just discussing with her before, so my, my concept of that really is that um, they're not expect they're busy, yeah. so so typically they might not think stop to listen to a busker, but also they're not expecting to come across a world class busker in the metro. Yeah, so they're not looking for it. No, no, so they're not taking it on board, and I guess that's the same if you're um, if you're looking for a sale, if you're in totally the wrong place, the wrong context, and you know, somebody's yeah. not going to notice you if you're in the wrong place. And I think the same applies, for example, if you underprice yourself. Yeah. You know, yeah. Th- this guy's a world-class um, violinist, probably in quite a lot of money, yeah. actually, as a musician, but as a busker, very little at all. Yeah. I think you could say that about a lot of products and services. If you price yourself wrong, you're going to earn less than if you'd priced yourself higher and just got the one gig. And also, it's about hanging out where your customers hang out. Yeah. yeah. And that goes down to who, you know, who is your who are your customers? And then the, the other video that I really like, again on YouTube, and it's from the, um, it's from the stable of uh, Blendtec. Now, this is a blender company that have, have made theatre out of marketing their products. They become viral because they blend things that shouldn't be blended in their blenders. And this this is in the Chapter 7 resource, um, and he talks about making theatre out of your marketing. And we had a quick look at this video, and the, the guy's um, blending two phones <laughs> literally that's it that's yeah. what he does and i've got to say i was impressed i thought those blenders were really good because they ground the phones to a to powder dust. yeah <laughs> so well if they can do that to the phone then surely they can do that to my banana <laughs> well yeah. not to dust well, but you know yes. yeah. smooth you know make my soup very smooth yeah. as you would expect so i like i like that one as well and obviously he's put the words around it and talking yeah. around that quite a bit more so i think a really great um thing you can do is go and have a look at success wise if you're then drawn in by his style because he's got a blog um you can so you can read some of his articles and see uh, whether you like his style go and get um 
the currently free copy yeah. if you're a Kindle Unlimited, um, and then go and have a look at some of the materials. But yeah, it, it's different to what I expected. But um, I don't. Now I'm going to come out and say I don't think it necessarily needs to go in the Andrew Hill list of things to pulp for 2022. No, no, I agree. But I do. I felt that when I so when I started reading it. I wanted I wanted us to move forward. It, it, yeah. If you if you call a book the one page marketing plan, most people are going to pick it up and look for the page. Which is the one page, yes. <laughs> yeah. And when, when you've read thirty pages, and it doesn't seem to be coming over. So the would, would you have valued the book more highly if it was say six pages long with the plan, rather um, than all the bump by the side of the plan? I think that there are some so that some really. He puts in some really good things, you know, about, you know, emotional triggers, your language that you use, etc. So that's all really, really valid. I think I could have just done without the... It felt a little bit like, at the beginning, he was justifying um, the reason, the, the fact that he's not re, that he's not regurgitating stuff, but that he, you know... Compiling. Yeah, he, yeah. and I, I think he spent a little bit too much time saying, you know... Well, so and so said this, and so and so thought that, and we build on this, and we build on that. I didn't. So not appearing to plagiarize. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so I think he'd probably, if he, if he'd had the courage of his convictions a little bit more, that first bit of the page could potentially, the first bit of the book could potentially go. Okay. All right. So that was the one-page marketing plan by Alan Dibb. At the time of recording, this was available on Kindle Unlimited. But if you want to go and read about it, you can go to the website, which is successwise.com. Okay. Now, a new year, New Year's honours list. Good good source of material. I love to have a little trawl through that. And what I thought, so I I thought I'll search and see what business people are on the New Year's honours list. And interestingly, there was a little clutch of people who work in the world of retail which is quite unusual um, in terms of the New Year's Honours list. And a guy in particular who, who caught my eye um, is a guy called Steve Murrells, who, is, who was made a CBE, and he is the chief executive of the co-op group. So when we had a little conflab about that, um, you're quite interested in the co-op and the co-op. Yeah, group. I like the cooperative movement, and uh, I, I was interested to, to know a little bit more about... Um, the guy who's in charge now, really. Yeah. Um, you know, since they they were founded, was it the Rochdale Pioneers yeah, founded yeah. the cooperative movement? I think it's a great um, it's a great concept. Also, I have my co-op card. As do I. Yes. <laughs> you don't get divvies anymore, do you? No, but you, but they. I don't. Is do it called a dividend? Still, I'm not sure. No, because yes. I think you get you get some money off. You get coupons occasionally, don't you, and things like that. So yeah. it's not paid out as money. I think it's but paid you, off. There's ten pence off your milk next time you're in. And yeah, stuff you like can that. redeem the vouchers. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you can still be a member though. So it still yes. operates as a membership yeah. organization. And also, um, I was interested to explore the link between um, the cooperative group and the cooperative bank. Largely because I used to work for Britannia Building Society, who merged with the Cooperative Bank in the 20s. 
Right, okay. Not the 20s, the 2000s. The 2000s. Yeah, I don't we're in know the 20s now. No. no, the the noughties. The noughties? Yeah. Um, anyway, anyway, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it merged with, with um, yeah. the cooperative bank. And, and so I just thought, oh, that's that's really quite interesting. Um, and I was, uh, I was interested to see that actually the cooperative bank is not a cooperative itself. I never really knew that. So... Once again, I thank this podcast for allowing me to do the research. The Cooperative Bank has never been a cooperative, but it was partly owned by the Cooperative Group. And it had a majority shareholding, which I think is why it had, you know, like the cool football stadiums, you know, the whatever stadium now. That's often sponsored. So I think they had the majority share, therefore it was branded as co-op to get the... Right. The co-op. That sort of makes sense. But they did, as a result of that ownership, they did have a a customer-led ethical policy, which is actually incorporated into the Articles of Association. So so anyway, Steve Murrell. So we've looked at him on LinkedIn. Do you have any mutual connections, Heather? No, do you? I do. I have four mutual connections with Steve Murrell. Oh. Do you know any of those people? I don't, but he is based in Cheshire, isn't he? So, and you're based in... I used to be based in Cheshire, yeah. We both know him. Oh, yes. Oh! We've we've reviewed his book before now. Well, we must have a shared contact then, because... um... And this gentleman's been on the radio show I did before we teamed up. Okay. I can't remember where I know her from. And I've got to admit, I don't know who that is. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you do these things on LinkedIn, don't you? So sorry, I'm glad I'm not mentioning the names. So yeah, um, Steve has been in retail for ever, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Uh, looking at his uh, LinkedIn profile, presumably he did something before that, but um, it looks like since um, certainly he's uh, been putting it on LinkedIn. So 2000 is when he put his first job. He worked for T and S Stores yeah. and uh, category director. Um, in red meat, poultry, fish, and then produce. And then what seems like quite a a nice big step up to Chief Executive Officer of T&S Stores, which apparently is one-stop Dillon's and Super 6. I didn't know that. Yeah, I think when you look at his his CV, you can absolutely understand why he is Chief Executive of the Co-op, because he's worked in retail... um, So the Tesco group, yeah. Yeah, um, Dobby's... Garden centres, um, tulip limited. I don't know tulip. Then me, um, do you remember tins of tulip ham? Oh, you're a veggie. Yeah, no. Do you, do you remember those weird shaped tins of ham that you used to get? Ham shaped hams. They were sort of like overly weird. <laughs> yeah, it's supposed to be the shape of ham, isn't yes, it? Yeah. Yes. Anyway, he's been yeah. with um, the co-op since 2012. Uh, he was chief exec of retail and became CEO in 2017. So why did he get the CBE? Um, what was what was so special about it this year again? He, he got the CBE for his contribution to f- um, food distribute. What are the exact words? Um for keeping supply chain moving against the backdrop of the pandemic. They also recognised Roger Burnley from Asda um, and uh, a lady called Angela Johnson who works for Morrison's. 
Um, so this was all about making sure that um, food remained on shelves. Yeah. She specifically um, was involved in Morrison's Gibraltar and making sure that food remained on shelves post-Brexit. So oh. slightly less pandemic-y, more Brexity. But, but, but it's still is, a bit of a shit show. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it, it was about supporting communities and making sure that, that you know, the supply chain continued. And, you know, we have seen shortages. Do you remember when people were stockpiling stuff? You know, Pat, you couldn't get pasta, you couldn't get loo roll. Um, you know, obviously, there were a lot of people working in the background yeah. getting stuff getting stuff moving and oh, motivating staff during a really difficult time to keep going out to work uh, in the middle of a, a pandemic um, and you know they've got 40 40,000 staff no 60,000 staff um, and a significant proportion of those are at the at, at the front line so um, that in itself a massive feat to keep the lights on and keep everybody um working yeah and he's, and he's very proud of that i think yeah, yeah. rightly so the, the other thing that interested me was this um and we, we've um had it before recently haven't we with the guys that come from um fa- fast moving consumer goods you know the nestle's of this world yeah. and then go and work for an ethical company named yeah. cafe direct so steve has worked for the biggies here so I'm, I'm, i don't know anything about tns stores and know a bit about Tesco, but then the co-op, and actually in his um, in his biog in LinkedIn, he's got some hashtags, um, hashtag retail, hashtag it's what we do, hashtag social mobility, and uh, hashtag diversity and inclusion. Just made me, made me think, you know, these, these people that go from your normal big corporate, profit hungry businesses yeah. to something with more of an ethical background um do do they adopt the ethical background have they always had it do, do they dilute the ethical um principles of the organization when they go in and then the last guy that we profiled from cafe direct we, we determined that no he didn't dilute it and mm-hmm. he he was loving his life it yeah. seemed yeah. from from the conversations that he's had so I, I did a bit a quick search um, to see how ethical the cooperative group was. So I've gone to ethicalconsumer.org and um, just checking it out, just to make sure yeah. that I hadn't didn't have a um, a big boycott sign against it. So I'm glad to say that it doesn't have boycott next to it okay, anyway. That's so that's good. okay. Um, so it says the cooperative is a pioneer when it comes to committing to fair trading. I've, you it see that in the, the shops, don't you? Yeah. Markets to have fair trade goods uh, with the bananas, sugar, tea, chocolate, roses, and cotton wool. Who knew? Um, robust documentation. Um, it monitors its corporate social responsibility and shows commitment towards its whole supply chain. But a couple of scandals in the UK food retail sector um, um, using slave labour and the production of seafood. Not just co-op, though. Yeah. So that that's actually you know part of um, a supply chain issue. Um, it's got some progressive targets for the environment. Um, it's um, had some targets for greenhouse gases and reducing packaging. Um, it's it's achieved those from what I can see. Um, it hasn't 
tested on animals on own brand toiletries since the 90s. That's quite progressive, isn't it? And it also pays its fair share of tax. We've talked about this before, the fair tax mark accreditation. Mm -hmm. So unlike some of their rivals um, who don't pay their fair share of tax, the co-op is accredited with fair tax mark. So as far as we could see, still a pretty ethical company. And I I think that, you know, it's great to see that. But um, there was actually an article, um, an interview um, in New Statesman uh, where uh, Steve Murrell says, you know, we, we don't chase profit. Uh, and then it's quite a lengthy interview, but he goes on to talk about um, various things, not least that the co-op food is the UK's fifth largest food retailer, but he also runs a life services division that includes the biggest funeral company, um, and legal advice, legal advice and insurance. But it then says the group invests more than £15 million a year in a growing empire of social enterprise projects chosen by its four and a half million members. And it also operates one of the largest multi-academy trusts in the country, running 27 schools in Manchester, Liverpool, Leeds and Stoke-on-Trent. They aim to be educating 800 apprentices and 40,000 school children. And when you talk about social mobility, yeah, that's excellent. That's yeah. what's ticking. What's ticking that box? He, he he did get a bit of um a, a bit of a hard um press around the bonus that that he received. Um, he got um, uh, let me see. He got one and a half million. There we go. Um, his own bonus for 2020 was 1.35 million, taking his total pay for the year to more than 2.2 million. And he and the interviewer said, "Is that fair?" Um, what was his response? And he he said, um, "A customer team member earning nine pounds an hour would take at least 120 years to earn that." Um, and so he he dodges the bullet a little bit, but by asking the question, but yeah, but he says. Well, what is fair is what we've done to colleagues' pay oh, since right. I've been in charge. Over the last four years, colleagues' pay has grown by over 25%. Um, this includes corporate staff, um, but we pay a living wage to hourly paid workers. Um, and he says, you know, we've got 45,000 colleagues uh, working in the retail. In retail, That's a hell of a lot of money. Um, and his own pay is set by an independent group. But he also then says that um, the group does have a significant gender pay gap and he gets that. Um, it's 29.9%. But it's very difficult because of the shop floor workers, the majority of them are women. Um, and so the lower paid, the majority of their staff are women working in, low, in a lower paid job. However, what was quite nice to see is that he's a they're a five person executive team. He's the only man. There are four women. That's interesting, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. But the salaries of those four women couldn't possibly go anywhere to negate forty five thousand women. No. Working in retail. Um, so I think he's 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 under no illusions that there's work to be done, um, and. Um, and there was there's, there were questions about you know plant based food, um, and um, he was asked if beef is a disaster for the planet, why does the co-op sell it? At what point does a product violate the group's principles to the point where it has to come off the shelves? 
And he says, okay, but it's British beef, which means that we're not transporting it around the world. So, okay, methane is, is a big issue. From cow farms. From cows, yes, yeah. But um, their, their own products are, are, are British beef. Um, so he's saying, you know, we're doing, we're doing what we can. And if you think about them being one of the first retailers to stop fair trade, well, okay, now look where fair trade is. Yeah. So maybe it's baby steps. You can't, you can't just uh, wave a, a magic wand. It's got to be, the business has got to be sustainable. So he came across, I watched a couple of videos of him, like addressed to the nation sort of thing. Mm. And um, he comes across as, as actually walking the talk. Um and and being very knowledgeable in his sector, obviously. Um, and, and and then another question: Why does the co-op sell cigarettes? Uh, and he says it would do more harm to the success of the co-op to give them up, and that his aim is to be commercially successful and then do good with that money. So it's a necessary evil. And it's a difficult call as well because once you start going down the route of deciding what is good and what is bad in terms of products okay yeah tobacco isn't good for people but you know what else are you gonna say i'm not gonna sell crisps because they're unhealthy yeah Yeah. and i i get you're not you're gonna sell fair trade you're gonna promote the the products that you know aren't traveling all the way around the world etc etc but yeah i think it's really tricky to um, moralize on what is um, appropriate to sell and not sell if it's related to health, I guess. Plus, the going back to the cigarette thing, the profit mark, uh, the markup on cigarettes is very, very little, but it's the thing that brings people into the shop. Yeah. And while they're in the shop buying their cigarettes, then they might be buying a loaf of bread or they might be buying some potatoes or or whatever. So I'm not I'm not condoning smoking, but yeah. if they stop selling cigarettes people might stop coming in and buying their bread and their potatoes and their milk and their lunch yeah. and, and the like. So inter- really interesting um, Yeah, it's difficult story, one, that isn't it? is, isn't it? But, uh, you know, he's... Uh, he, I'm just reading over your shoulder there with the article. He, he doesn't try and obfuscate, does he? He's, yeah. he's actually uh, answering the question with a, an honest yeah. response. Yeah. We've yeah. got to make some money. Yeah. And we've got to stick around and... We try to do good work with the money that we make. We don't... Okay, his bonus, all right. Well, that's, you know, but... That's a bigger question as well, yeah, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Executive pay. And, and, and also, asking that question about one individual, well, we could look at, you know, all the other people who operate at a similar level and look at their bonuses. And actually, we know that that's not that significant. <laughs> Compared to some yeah, of the people, yeah, I mean, that we've you've got at. to ask big questions of society. You can't just ask one individual. No, no. Society needs to change, you know, rather than just one person at a time. I would suggest, but yeah. anyway. So that's Steve Morrells, um, awarded uh, an honour in the New Year's Honours list, and I mean, what that has done is just um, opened up how complex the co-op is. You, you just see the little shop on the corner. Well, it's much, much more than meets the eye. Yeah. Oh, I love a good co-op shop. 